Welcome to the ICN podcast in a series we're calling Everyday Mystics. Some may think that a mystic is someone who lives in a cave or in the clouds, but in truth, being a mystic is not something that takes us out of living in the world, but more deeply into and through the regular circumstances of everyday life. These are stories of those who are living their embodied mysticism integrated into life as usual, but far from ordinary. Today, I'm talking with Marsha Fleischman. Marsha, so good to be with you and talking with you. Well, hey, it's fun to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with uh, the question, do you consider yourself a mystic? Why or why not? Well, yes, I do. And um, and actually, I'm so excited for this series because it's long been my belief that we can all be everyday mystics. And um I've I've just liked that, but I've also discounted myself because I do seem to be just every day and uh, up in any in any big books or histories about mystics, uh, and people seem to kind of categorize those as special people and uh, to be worshipped or idealized. And I've just been an ordinary person. So, but it I took a change when I finally decided not to hide my spiritual gifts of my what I can mystical gifts and go ahead and talk about them as part of my life and that um that made a big difference in owning owning myself as a mystic Mm, yeah definitely coming out and being present and open to them and I yeah I know you're very um now you're very effusive about it and and present you talk to people at all all the time (laughs) when you see them at things and that's great and wonderful but so it wasn't always like that before it was a little more in hiding or or how did it begin when when did these sort of mystical giftings start arriving for you it began and I realized my uh my spiritual journey has been one of awakenings several awakenings not just one the first big one was when I said yes to Jesus in my life at 21 and I just I think I'd been dealing with some depression most of my life and it just brought me out of it I felt joy I felt loved for the first time I hadn't been able to feel loved and that was the first awakening but then um actually our our Paul Smith who um started ICN with you, Luke. Uh, I was in his church. He was my pastor. Later, later on, I was uh, I got an, on staff and, and ministered with him, but uh, I was at a house church, and he uh, we were praying at the end, and I sat next to him. He praying in his spirit language, and me just went, Boing. <laughs> and oh, I was awake and I knew something had happened and I didn't know what, but I knew that I had come into something new. And two weeks later, we were sitting in church and my two-year-old was on my lap and I used to really concentrate during quiet time to hear from God. And I thought, oh, brother, I'm not going to hear anything with Sarah bouncing on my lap. But I closed my eyes anyway, and I had a vision, and it was the first vision I ever had. And it was Jesus standing in the midst of a huge crowd of kids that were all like two feet shorter than he was. And they were pushing and shoving and shouting and screaming, and he was laughing and laughing. So my the message to me was relax, children, child energy. But it was also a message to the church that had a struggle of, I was children's minister, and Um, They didn't seem to enjoy the kids very much. They just kind of 
somebody on leadership joke, we should ship our kids, bus them to another church to be taken care of. <laughs> and so we were fighting that kind of attitude. And Jesus's message was not just for me, but for the church. Mm. But that was the first vision I had. Wow. And you had it with a, a your daughter on your lap. Squirming on my lap. Yeah. So you weren't like deep in meditation no, away in a cave. No, and I was with your daughter not to hear wow. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a great, I mean, goodness. I know there's a lot of mothers, parents. I'm a parent of young children, right? And it's like, oh, I got to go do my sit and connect with God. I said, no, it's, it's right there. That's, right that's there amazing. Happening. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. And I want to go back also to that um, experience with Paul and speaking in spirit language, which is what some people might know as, as speaking in tongues. Was that strange to you? Was that familiar? Were you around that? Had you done that? What what sort of grabbed you in that? Or, or how do you feel? How did you feel in that moment? Well, actually, my best friend growing up had become a Christian and was involved in the charismatic movement. And she and her husband used to say all the time, oh, you've got to speak in tongues and you've got to do this. And, and I remember talking about it. And he said, no, it's not no, but it's also okay to do that. But he didn't say you had to. And I knew that people had were touching on the charismatic movement at Broadway. People had had experiences. And while those experiences weren't shared on Sunday morning, um, sometimes they were uh, on Sunday evening worship, or we went to church camp. And one of the uh, pastors had a message in tongues, as he said, and he said we were all going to get um, a message. He was going to speak it, and then we would hear an interpretation. And so it was that kind of charismatic, but kind of lightweight and fairly private, not Sunday morning. But actually, that was when he gave that message. That was one of my more dynamic, uh, spiritual experiences because he got up and gave his message. And then I had this tingling all down my, my front, my tummy was tingling. Like I was like, I was in a book, a brook of bubbling water. And I heard the spirit speak very clearly saying, uh, I have anointed you to preach my gospel. And that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear from the spirit much before that? Or was this a... (laughs) Well, I had gradually, but that was some moments that are just really clear. And that was really clear. And the next week we were at staff meeting and uh, Paul Smith, who was the main teacher for the first time, asked if anybody else was interested in teaching, Hmm. preaching. And so I raised my hand because I thought, I think I'm supposed to do that. But that was one of those dynamic, <laughs> those dynamic ones. Yeah. But um, mostly, can I go ahead with my spiritual Yeah, practice? please do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Smith had taught, taught us on a Sunday morning how we could hear, hear God. And, and he taught us all he, he had. He did a teaching about all this and then had us experiment with just uh, ask God, how much, how much do you love me? And the whole congregation was supposed to live or listen. And then whatever the first word that came to mind was the answer. And, and I heard as high as the sky, that's how much God loved me. And, uh, everybody else shared their answer. That was the beginning for me of a And I would uh, sit and listen to God every morning. And then someone challenged me to write down what I heard. 
And speaking of little children, <laughs> the girls then, I had two, we have two daughters and the girls would uh, watch cartoons in the morning before school. And I would go have my quiet time. And I thought, I don't care if I hear the Flintstones in the background, I'm going to listen to God and write it down. And so I started a notebook of just listening to God and writing down what I heard mm. and, uh, in spite of the cartoons going on in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar. Or oh yeah, oh yeah. No, that's that's amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Again, not in a cave, not not in silence, right? It's yeah, not, not <laughs> when bit. I was being all holy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, Marsha, what is it? What does it sound like to you when you hear God speak to you? What does that sound like? Uh, well, it sounds. I guess it just sounds like someone speaking a thought in your mind, uh, but it's not your voice. It's it's not an audible voice. But it's like if I were to say uh, Ricky Ticky Tin in my mind and I would hear myself saying that, it would be like that hearing a voice, only not my voice and not all. It's like a, a spoken thought. Yeah, right. And then just over time, as you've listened to it more, um, you've recognized that as a sort of a different, what, like tenor or quality than your own thoughts when they just kind of pop up, right? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. And, um, and I learned it, it took a long time to kind of trust what I was hearing. I found that the biggest thing was when uh, in staff meeting, we, we would pray for each other and I would hear words and the scariest part and the best part was sharing them with the person we were praying for and seeing if they meant anything. Well, on Sunday morning, we would practice our um, charismatic light uh, experience by setting up microphones uh, for people uh, during quiet time, if they would hear something from God to share with the community. And I started experiencing messages. And sometimes it was almost as if I was being lifted out of my seat and carried down to the microphone to speak. And so I started with that and I found the most affirming thing was that one or two people would come up after the service and say that message was for me. Hmm. And I began to realize I could discern between what was, what message was for me and what message was for other people. Hmm. And yeah. How did you discern that? Uh, I, I think it had to do with, if it was for me, it meant something very personal to me. And if it wasn't for me, it didn't sound like it was personal. Mm -hmm. I knew it was for somebody else. And I guess I was just brave enough to get up and, and offer it. It took a bit of courage to do that. Yeah. But I found the most affirming thing for someone learning to hear from God is for the person, uh, the message is for to affirm them, to say, yeah. that was for me, that helped. Mm, that's yeah, so that good, Marcia. And and the, what I love about that too is there's, that real relational component. I think sometimes maybe when we think about mystics or read about the mystics, we imagine them, you know, in their cloister in the cell writing, you know, or, or just <laughs> this, but, but we have this, yeah, this relational component, right. We might call it the we space where, yeah, we bring these things forth and that is such a, a fertile ground for helping us discern and know and recognize, Oh, wow, this is really, there's something to this. This isn't just my own thought. It helps you recognize that because it's, it's reflected in the way that it speaks into other people's lives and things that we couldn't know or, um, or, or things like that. Right. Yes. Uh -huh. There's a, a verse in Isaiah that God sends, says he sends forth his word 
and um, on the earth and it, it brings about crops and life. And I find that that's really true in the gift of sharing your, what you're hearing from the spirit with other people, it brings them life. Yeah. It really touches them very deeply. Mm, and yeah. Very exciting. And if, and then if they give you good feedback, it helps your, you grow in that gift. For sure. And I, I know you said earlier, you, you, you kind of grew in becoming more open to that, right? First in this church setting, as you're describing, and then later on, you know, I don't know, when, when did it switch to, to talking to people in airports or uh, <laughs> on, on, on the street or, or you know, because uh, that's that direct one-to-one and then you have those experiences. Talk, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, that, that got in my old age when I became <laughs> less inhibited. <laughs> but uh, I think also part of it was that I used to tell my sisters about the things I heard. And that was big because it's hard to come out to your family. Mm, yeah. And uh, they also could be very, very cryptic, uh, but they uh, they really began respecting that I had this gift that I was saying these things to them. And that was helpful. That came first. And um, a funny thing that happened uh, one Sunday morning, one of the worship leaders shared something. Well, this morning, this is what I heard from the Lord. And like I say, it, at, at Broadway, people practice this gift of hearing from God. So she speaks what she heard from the Lord. And I was sitting in the pew and I said, gee, God, I wish I could hear it from you like that. And God said, you do, you just don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I found that to be very true <laughs> mm, that yeah. I have, I have a real problem with trust. And mm. so, um, so that's what I had to work on. And then, of course, I was sick for five and a half years with a very deadly disease. And the only way out was a double lung transplant. And I got prayed for every chance I got. And in um, social time at church, I'd go up to a group of people and ask them to pray for me. And, and I kept hearing reassurances that everything was going to be fine. And I just frankly cannot believe it. Um, mm. Because the cure was a double lung transplant, and I had to move to St. Louis to get that done and the whole thing. But I did have this one experience that I often talk about uh, after my doctor said I had been on the list for a transplant for five and a half years and sick and getting sicker. And my doctor said it was time to go uh, for my transplant to St. Louis. Uh, I learned later that his assessment was that I had less than a year to live, and that's why it was time. So uh, I was scared to death. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> I'm a fearful person. Uh, I'm a head energy person, a seven on the Enneagram. We're scared of everything, but we don't know it. <laughs> Fives and sixes know they're scared. But anyhow, <laughs> I was scared. And I was driving down the street and I had a vision come to me with my eyes wide open and I was driving. But it was an image of the operating room. And it was open cubically to the sky and there were light beings filling the space. And they were not just angels, but spirit guides and even the spirits of people who were alive. And they were all this golden energy of light that was pulsating with life. And they were in the operating room with me and my heart went into this place of peace and I thought, oh, okay, when I move to St. Louis, I'll feel scared. And I didn't. Okay, when I get the call that my lungs are here, I'll be scared. And I wasn't. 
Okay, when I go to the operating room and I get on the table, I'll be scared. And I wasn't. And I didn't see all those light beings, but that vision carried me forward without fear. And it was such a relief Hmm. and so peaceful. That was probably one of the hugest moments, though I think I have a lot of them. And that one just brought me such incredible peace. Mm, wow, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, like you mentioned before, the, the the trust aspect. And I just hear in kind of these stories that you've shared in the words, these sort of just God giving you these regular affirmations yes. um, of presence. And and that's, you know, that's really part of being a mystic, right? Hearing from God in, in ways that that takes an opening to that and a learning to trust that. And I just I love the way that you've you've shared that as so. Well, let me say, I didn't trust until I woke up after my surgery and I was in Mm. a coma for five days and I was on a ventilator. And so when I woke up, I couldn't speak. Mm. But when I woke up alive, then I trusted. I trusted that God had told me the truth all that time. Mm. And so, of course, I don't want anybody to think I'm holier than holy, but my response when I got my voice back was to start to swear and not stop. (laughs) (laughs) I was mad at a nurse who had ignored me and I don't usually get mad and I couldn't stop swearing. And then it got to be fun. And, (laughs) and the nurse said to the doctor, Oh, she's a minister. Should we tell her congregation? And I said, they know, (laughs) (laughs) they know I like to swear. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think sometimes people can think, oh, a mystic is this holy person kind of floating above the ground. And I'm just not. I'm just not. Well, that's perfect, Marcia, because that's exactly what, yeah, we. it's not about any of those things, not swearing. Right? So how long ago was, was that uh, transplant? That was 18 years ago. So I'm 18 years out and I'm doing well. I went into rejection 11 years ago and I've been treated for it successfully. Hmm. But I have to drive to St. Louis to get a treatment every month because Medicare won't pay for it. And my home hospital that did the transplant gives it to me as a gift. So I'm just thrilled. And Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it was after the surgery that I started to have the experience with angels and Mm -hmm. I started painting them. And that that was a whole whole big experience. I've written a couple of books about angels and now I, I paint angels for people and uh, I'm working on uh, paintings for all the nurses in St. Louis that give me my treatment. So that's fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Your, your angel paintings are beautiful and they have so much energy and like mystical vision to them in a sense. Like these are angels that you see, right? Isn't yes. that the name of your book? Like angels, angels I have, I seen, have right? seen. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just like this imaginative, you know, oh yeah, you actually see these angels for people, right? Can well, you talk a little bit more of, about that? It, yeah, because seeing is a is a, a fluid word. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. see them mm-hmm. with my eyes. I don't really see them with my heart. It's more like I feel them. Mm-hmm. I feel their presence or feel their actions. I feel their energy. And that translates. Well, when I started painting, uh, um God had told me he'd give me new visions of angels to paint. And I had said, oh, well, that's fun, God, but I don't know how to draw. 
And so, I mean, I've not, I've never done art. And uh, so I had a Picasso uh, book and I looked at that and said, oh, okay, I can do something simple. And the next day in quiet time, I had my very first uh, angel vision and, uh, and painted it and started selling them to raise money for the church and raised $5,000 for the church. But that was just an explosive experience. And, um, and it's because I couldn't draw. <laughs> <laughs> so they're very simple paintings <laughs> because of that. <laughs> well, it's funny you said Picasso as something simple uh, in a way. Yes, but no, there's, there's definite artistic quality and beauty to it for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about, I mean, the painting, the hearing from God, I, you know, our, our question is about everyday mysticism and how we integrate that into our lives. Right. So you've talked about some of that. Is there anything else or how that looks, maybe a story or, or how mysticism comes into your daily life or affect the way that you live? I mean, you've already been answering that, but anything yeah. else come, come to mind there? Well, um, I would say you did ask about talking to people on airplanes and stuff like that. Of course, I've always, I'm an extrovert and I really enjoy people and I'm curious about people. So I like to get to know people, but it's really taken on a, a mystical flavor. My husband passed away three years ago and part of the mystical part of that actually came from a friend from church who, uh, contacted me and said that he had has a gift of hearing from people who've crossed over to the other side. And he, uh, he said, I usually don't say anything, but I've been hearing from your husband all day. And this was like just a few days after Ken had died. And I said, Oh, I want to hear what he say. Well, I think he was checking just to see if I'd be open to hearing that. Cause a lot of people yeah. aren't apparently. Right. So he was really touched that I would. And anyhow, he shared with me what Ken said. And first was joyful, joyful. And then angels, we have heard on high and Ken and Ken said, I knew what it meant. And that's another mystical thing that you can, you can reflect on something and get an answer that echoes through you in, in a way that you understand. And, and it's explained like those two things he said, I knew what they meant, but then he told the guy, the guy's name is Phil, that he had not been joyful about God or even as excited as I was, but he was happy to go along with me in life and, and be and support what I thought. And he believed in the angels that I talked about. And he said, now he's full of joy in God's presence. And he's surrounded by the angels I talked about. Hmm. And just that being open to that. And then I've been able to hear from him since then and experience his presence. That is life-sustaining to me. Um, that's been powerful and just part of normal life, I guess. But even before that, I've just gotten less inhibited about who I am. And I find, oh, we used to call it divine appointment. Do you know about that, Luke? Where you would say you would know you would meet someone and talk to them and you knew you were supposed to, you knew it was a God plan to have you meet this person. Well, that started happening all the time on planes and, and we would talk about the deepest spiritual things. And I knew that, that my words were speaking to people. It was, it's been very wild and fun and, mm. and, uh, and my, my being an extrovert helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Leading into who you are, but, but I'm curious. I mean, I think I have heard that term, but it's maybe a little unfamiliar with it. Maybe others are too. Like, what does it feel like when you're sensing a divine appointment or if you don't use that language, what would you call it now? <laughs> oh, it's, 
it's actually more that like, you know what, after it's happened, because you start speaking about spiritual matters or deep matters of the heart Mm. and have something, something to say. For instance, we were waiting, Ken and I were waiting for uh, our table and we were drinking martinis. And I was talking to these two gals and one had broken up with her husband and I just immediately said, well, or not, it wasn't her husband, it was her boyfriend, I said, well, that's a good thing. And I just gave her such positive affirmation of meaning. Mm. And she turned to Ken and said, oh, she's a keeper. And I knew I had touched her life very deeply mm. on just a funny meeting at a bar. Mm. And so then I know, oh, I was here for a purpose. So, um, but it's usually, sometimes it's because my spirit's being tapped in too. And I know I'm, I'm going to share something of spiritual content with a person that it's an opening in a conversation that seems to happen a lot more frequently that people are looking for something of substance about God and something good news. So that's, that's kind of what happens. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, the the openness there is what really strikes me. I mean, like you said, it helps that you're an extrovert. Maybe it helps that you were drinking martinis. No, I'm joking. You're not always not always drinking martinis. Drinking, swearing, Marsha, you're, you're the, the yeah, best. This is a great mysticism. Here exactly. I am with a word yeah. from God. Well, I will tell you something. A long time ago, when I was in high school, before I had really opened up to God, I read a story about a minister in the South somewhere and he drank his whiskey straight and he swore like a sailor. And if someone in town got shot, he went to see the victim first and then he went to the jail to minister to to meet with the guy who shot him. And I was so impressed by that Mm -hmm. because I tended to think of even just Christians as being kind of goody two shoes and and holier than thou and kind of prissy in a way. And that spoke to me of someone who was so ordinary and yet he had this holy outing. And so I say, maybe, maybe that's who I am. <laughs> that's who I want to be. Well, yeah, I love that, Marcia. And that's, that's exactly right. I mean, that's what it, what it is. Um, so much more about those things than the, the, it's such a different form of holiness that you're describing there yes. that you've described through your life. And that's what it's about of bringing this mysticism into, into presence, to dive into speaking with people. And, and I'm sure, right. You've had stories of when you share things and just that, like you mentioned with the waitress that hits them and they, you know, it, it, you recognize that that divine appointment after the fact. And so we don't always see it or feel it or know it beforehand. I think for an introvert like me, that's helpful because it's like, oh, I, I need to be feeling this mystical movement and flow and be in a state before, and then I'll speak forth or then I'll, you know, bring it into the situation with a stranger or with my children or wherever it might be. Right. But I love how you you're naming that too, in a sense that it's in some ways choosing that trust, moving into that openness mm-hmm. to participate in it, to offer it actually, um, creates and, and, and affirms and opens that, that mystical flow and connection and and way of bringing it forth. Yes. Well, um, I'll also tell about one way it fits into my life. That's been kind of a surprise to me is like, I'm used to when I pray for someone intentionally, I listen to the spirit. There came a time when I wasn't quite sure that what I said was, was right. But then, and so I would ask for their feedback. But now it's more like I trust to know when I'm there in that zone. 
and know that I'm speaking from that place. But even weirder is uh, in the midst of conversation, I'll get a picture for somebody or a word. And, uh, and it, even when we're not just concentrating on praying for that person, and that happened Sunday, actually, at Sunday gathering, uh, we were broken up in our groups and we were about to close and I had a picture for a woman and I saw her sitting in like a bowl of light. And then that bowl turned into a lotus. And so I just told her that's what I saw. And right after that, I, I was looking at a catalog and sold this, saw this golden lotus <laughs> with a, a, a candle in the middle of it. So I took a picture and sent it to her because it was like right there it was. Yeah. But uh, that happens more and more that pictures come when I'm just speaking to someone. Mm. And that's fun, too. Yeah, beautiful. Marsha, thank you so much for sharing all about just, yeah, the the way that God speaks to you, how you bring that forth to others, your your growth in openness and trust and all the amazing things that have happened in your life. So much more that we couldn't uh, get time to talk to, talk to about. Um, but yeah, just really yeah. appreciative of your, your openness and your sharing uh, about <laughs> how mysticism has unfolded for you in your life. Thank Can I you. tell you one more thing? Oh yeah, please do. Yes. Okay. So my, I got a, a clergy uh, renewal grant through Lilly Endowment to go do whatever I wanted. And I said, I wanted to paint in Southern France, like Van Gogh, which I did. But uh, we went to Versailles first and my husband was furious at this palace. And I said, what? And he, he said, no one man deserves all this opulence. I thought it was just the strangest reaction. Then, I, then we went to Lourdes and he dropped me off at the church and the place. And I went in the church and I started getting furious. And I saw all these people walking around with these scarves on that had pins that were obviously from their, from their oh, journeys, their uh, pilgrimages. And I got really furious and my fury, my anger was, uh, for one thing, that they had missed the whole idea of Lords, that a woman from heaven, they didn't say Mary, a woman from heaven came and talked to a shepherd girl. And the first anger was going into the church and seeing all the men, priests, wearing the golden robes and one little nun in a gray outfit down by the altar. Oh. And I thought they missed the whole message. And then my second anger was all these people worshiping this missed experience when they could be at home having their own mm. and that's what I thought we can all be mystics we don't, we don't have to depend on on this stuff anyhow that was I wanted to share I because I I have a very strong belief that we can all be mystics Oh, beautiful. One degree or another. Absolutely. What a great story to end on. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank awesome. you. Luke. Thanks, Marsha. Yeah. Uh -huh. Bye. 